0: Open your Bible to the book of Isaiah, find chapter 43. As you're finding your way there, I've got some more exciting news to you to give to you. You keep giving me reason to give you good news. Uh, last week, I announced to you again that uh, our Made For More facility expansion project is finished, which means we got a bill for $7.8 million. That's interesting. I didn't press the menu button on that, but uh, $7.8 million was the final bill. $6.9 million has already been paid for. Thank you for your sacrificial giving. And I told you about this little gap here. It's a $950,000 gap to get all of that done. And we've presented that to you as an end-of-year giving goal for our church. And man, you guys responded like crazy last week. Last week, we had the largest offering of Any week we've had in 2020, you guys gave over $325,000 last week. So the Lord is good. Uh, that's closing this gap here. If you weren't part of those who gave last year, then jump on the train. Man, there is some momentum. And uh, we would love to be able to announce in 2021 we're debt-free once again as a church. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, so humbled by God's grace to us, your generosity. It's allowing us to do those things. We haven't pressed the brake pedal in 2020. The mission continues. And uh, we're learning to adapt. Uh, and I trust that you are as well. Well, I've got a question for you this morning, and the question is the title of the sermon. Here's the question. What are you afraid of? 2020 is a scary year, but you know, before 2020 rolled around, it was scary. Before coronaviruses, it was scary before uh, political elections, it was scary before all the things that we're seeing. It's just scary to live in this world. And it was scary about 2,700 years ago when Isaiah wrote to the people of God. I want to read to you Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7. Uh, These are some of the richest, most comforting verses in the whole Bible. These are great words for those of us that are living in scary times. Notice Isaiah says in verse 1 of chapter 43, but now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Let's say those words to each other. Just turn to your neighbor, make contact. Just fear not. Did you know that those two words are the first words of the Christmas story? One day, an angel showed up and announced to some shepherds who were keeping watch over their flocks by night, and the first words of those angels were, fear not, for I bring you Good news of great joy for unto you today is born in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so those two words that the angel spoke were echoes of what Isaiah spoke to the people of God 700 years before those angels showed up, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Fear not, I have called you by name. You are mine. Verse 2 When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba for ex- in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not for I am with you I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my children from the end of the earth. Verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You know, this life is full of scary things. Here's the message that we need to hear from the Lord this morning from Isaiah. Every fear is an opportunity to be reminded of how precious we are to God. Every time you sense the impulse to be afraid, it is an opportunity to be reminded of how precious we are to God. I mean, it's scary out there. We are afraid of growing broke. We are afraid of finishing last. We are afraid of looking stupid. We're afraid of bullies at school, moles on our back. We're afraid of the sound of a ticking clock as it ticks us closer to the grave. We're afraid of the dark. How many of you are afraid of the dark? How many of you still have a nightlight in your room? Raise your hand if you still need a little light in the room. I see some of you smiling, but you're not courageous enough to lift your hand in church because you're afraid of looking stupid. In church, and looking... Some of us are afraid of being perceived as being afraid. That's one of our fears. Uh, it's called the fear of man. A lot of times when I'm uh, with people, and I was with some dear brothers uh, this past week, some pastors of churches, and we kind of drop our guard and just kind of confess our issues and sins to one another, and I always say, my, my besetting sin as your pastor is fear of man, I don't want to look stupid in front of you. I don't want to disappoint you. I don't want you not to like me. But you know what? If your greatest desire is to be liked, pastoring a church is probably not the profession for you because not everything I'm gonna say is always going to be the greatest thing. Um, We're afraid of heights. How many of you are afraid of heights? Lift your hand, be humble enough, I'm afraid of heights. How many of you are afraid of spiders? Anybody afraid of spiders? Great. Anybody afraid of snakes? All right. Anybody afraid of worms? Like, just, worms are not scary things. Like, you're just a scaredy cat if you're afraid of a worm. Okay. Um, how many of you are afraid of thunder and lightning? You don't like storms, tornado sirens, things like that. You don't like that. How many of you are afraid of uh, close quarters? You don't it, claustrophobia. You don't like that. You, you you fear crowds, things like that. How many of you fear church? Oh, you're not here today. Um. Uh. You know what? The number one. Um, Fear among people, it's always the number one. When they're surveyed, you know what the number one fear is? It is the fear of public speaking. Right now, I am doing the most terrifying thing that anyone could possibly do, and you expect me to do it flawlessly, right? And yet, I'm telling you, it's a scary thing. That's why I'm freaking out on Thursday and Andrea always has to counsel me off a cliff, don't quit, you can still do it. You can. Do, they're not gonna kill you. Just, just do it one more time. And we have to have this conversation as in preparing to speak publicly about how scared you really are. Some of our fears are, are really about really scary things. We fear getting sick. We fear testing positive. Um, some of us are afraid of of vaccines. Others of us are afraid of people who don't get vaccines. Uh, The universal common denominator is, we're just all afraid, right? Some of us are afraid of oppressive government. We're afraid of losing our freedom. As a matter of fact, this is true about fear. Every fear is rooted in a perceived loss of control, right? Like as long as you are in control, You're not afraid, but when you face something or someone who is stronger than you, you realize I can't control the situation. That's why the universal fear for all of us mortal beings is we're afraid of dying. Now, most of us now, if you're a Christian, that really should be off the plate because we just sang about the resurrection, right? So it's like you can't be really afraid of dying. But we we. I'm afraid of things dying. I'm, I'm afraid of my strength dying. I'm afraid of outliving my usefulness. I'm afraid of everybody around me dying before I do, and I'm afraid of dying alone. I'm afraid of, of getting weak. I'm afraid of getting sick. I'm afraid of losing my mental capacity. I'm afraid of not being able to speak publicly because that's kind of what I do. And if I can't do that, then what is my usefulness? So uh, you, you, we're afraid of losing control. I'm, I'm, I'm more afraid of vision dying. I'm more afraid of the church dying. I'm, I'm more afraid of America dying. I'm more afraid of the Great Commission dying. We're we're afraid of things that can take away our control. So, if you are a scaredy cat like me, we need to understand this thing that God says can control us, and it's fear. So, let's give it a definition. Fear is a God-given impulse to seek a right relationship with the fear source. Now notice, fear is not necessarily a bad thing. It, it's something that's God's wired in you to protect you from danger, because the world's a dangerous place. World's a fallen world, that's why we lock our doors at night, that's why we save for retirement. It's why we take our vitamins? It's 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 a God-given impulse to seek a right relationship with the fear source. If you've ever gone for a walk in your neighborhood and and you're just enjoying the peaceful neighborhood and nice conversation, and then all of a sudden you hear a barking dog, and it's getting closer. One of the most hilarious things that happened this past week was Micah was out in the parking lot and he was, he was on his cell phone and we have surveillance cameras out there in the parking lot and there's no sound, but you can, you can kind of see Mike on his cell phone and then he kind of stops and he just kind of keeps talking on the phone and starts walking backwards. And then he's in a dead sprint away from the fear source. There was an angry dog that was approaching Micah. And your worship pastor is a scaredy cat when it comes to dogs. Now, listen, all Micah was trying to do was to seek a right relationship with the dog. And in that sense, the right relationship means Social distancing from the fear, okay? Now, the other way you can solve that problem is if you had a doggy treat in your pocket and you could, like, offer a friendly gesture and you could make peace with the fear source. That's why in Scripture we see two commands related to fear repeated over and over and over. The first is what we've just read, fear not. 365 times in the Bible, the two words Fear not are repeated, one for every day of the year. So in case there was a day you were afraid, there's one for you there. But the other command is fear God because we're supposed to allow this fear of judgment, of being out of right relationship with God to drive us to seek a right relationship with God. So fear not, but fear God. And the only way to get through the world without fearing everything that can control you is to have a proper sense of fearing God. Fear can grip our lives. Fear can paralyze us. Fear can take away our freedom. But you know, there's a healthy fear that actually makes us prudent, and wise. Let me show you the difference here. First of all, there's a fear that creates a paranoia in our life. If you just walk around all the time, you're afraid of everything, you're afraid to move, you're paralyzed, there's an unhealthy paranoia that has gripped your life. And it's an indication that you either have no faith or very weak faith. Because if we fear God, then there should be a sense in which we can obey the command, Fear not. If you are gripped by fear, basically what you're saying is I don't believe I have any protection. I I can be consumed, I can be controlled, I can be dominated by something stronger than me in this world. Now listen, God doesn't want you to live here. This is sinful fear. However, some people react to this and they get really proud and they flop all the way over here and they say I ain't afraid of anything and they bow up, and they power up. And basically what they're saying is, I need no protection. I am my own protection. I'm strong enough, I'm powerful enough, I have no fear. Now listen, that's not a godly fear. That is, you're a control freak and you're trying to power up over everybody else. You're actually, what's making us afraid is because you're trying to control us. So, there is a godly fear, there's a healthy fear, Then we're going to call that prudence. Proverbs 22 verse 3 says this, the prudent man foresees the danger and hides himself. So, there's a response. There's a perception of something that is harmful, and in reaction to that, he hides himself, not in a cowardly way, but in a prudent way. The next part of the verse says, the simple go on and are punished. So he sees the same danger, and yet he makes no change. He makes no adjustment in his life. That's not prudent. That's just proud. That's arrogant, and it's stupid. But the prudent man says, yeah, there's real fear out there. And yet I'm gonna face every fear with faith knowing that God is my protector. I don't have to protect myself, but there's a real protection that is promised to the people of God that we've read about here. And so we need to understand fear is willing to take risk. Max Lucado said this, the step between prudence and paranoia is short but steep. Prudence wears a seatbelt. Paranoia avoids cars. Prudence washes with soap. Paranoia avoids human contact. By the way, this was written about 15 years ago. Prudence saves for old age. Paranoia hoards even trash. Prudence prepares and plans. Paranoia panics. Prudence calculates the risk and takes the plunge. Paranoia never enters the water. What he's saying is this. When you are gripped by fear, safety becomes your idol. Fear is an issue of worship. What you fear will eventually control you. If you surrender your life to the control of God, what you're saying is, I fear God. If you don't surrender your life to the fear of God, you're going to surrender to the control of your fear. And when you do that, safety becomes what you worship. It demands that you worship it. And that is not a healthy place to live. Because fear never takes a risk. Fear paralyzes mission. Fear squelches ambition. Fear never gives sacrificially. Fear never confesses sin. Fear never reaches out to an unfamiliar face. Fear never tells someone the good news of Jesus. Fear never shares your testimony. Fear never stands alone for righteousness. Fear never disciplines a child. Fear never led a small group. Fear never preached a sermon. Fear never confronts sin. Fear never planted a church. Fear never made a disciple. Fear never obeyed God, even when it doesn't make sense, fear never got baptized. Fear never made a profession of faith. Fear never joined the membership of a local church. Fear never stepped into a volunteer leadership position to serve the local church. Fear never takes a risk. And so, we cannot make safety an idol. If you fear God then you surrender to the control of God. If you fear everything but God, you will surrender to the control of safety. So in the context of Isaiah chapter 43, we have great hope and great encouragement. Now let me remind you of the context of what we've been experiencing. Isaiah's writing under four different political administrations and uh, through the season that he's been preaching, the nation has died. It's crumbled from the inside. It, is being th- it has been threatened from the outside. Now the Babylonian armies have invaded and they have captured God's people and carried them off into exile. In chapter 40, the tone changes in exile and God begins to speak to his people who are living under the control of a foreign nation nation. They are surrounded by a godless culture. Their numbers were declining. Their greatest fear is that they were being forsaken and forgotten by God. They were fearful of losing their identity as a people of God. They feared they wouldn't survive as a people. They feared that they would never be redeemed from their sin. That's what God is saying, don't fear. He's basically saying, I haven't forgotten you. I haven't given up on my promise. But their numbers were declining. Their culture was eroding. You talk about losing religious freedom, they'd lost it all. They had had their land invaded by a godless culture. And one of their greatest fears is that their children were being assimilated in a godless culture. Their children were not not growing up in their homeland, going and worshiping at the temple, the true and the living God. The next generation was growing up in a godless culture. And they were tempted to be assimilated, just absorbed into a culture full of idolatry and immorality. Sound like any culture you know about? And into that culture, God speaks these words, fear not, I've redeemed you. Let me give you seven reasons why they and we have no reason to fear, no matter what we see going on around us. The first of those is this, fear not, God says, God made you. Again, look back at verse 1. He says, but now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, underline the word created, He who created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel. God speaks to those who are fearful that they do not matter. And the fear of not mattering is expelled by the thought that I have been purposefully created by God. I am not an accident I am not a result of time and chance, I am not a product of natural selection, I am a product of supernatural creation. God made me, and God placed me exactly where I am in the time I am as I am, everything about me has been specifically made by God. God made me five feet, seven inches, and three-quarters tall. Very few of you have that identical experience. It has advantages and disadvantages. But God made that into me. He built me. He made me that. He made me male. With all the conversation in our culture about gender identity and the transgender revolution and all that, so much of that is the byproduct of losing the doctrine of creation. To understand that I have been given specific qualities that are unique to me and I didn't get to choose those. Those were assigned to me. And no matter how much, I don't want to be five feet seven inches and three quarters tall, I wanna be five eight so bad. God did not give me the extra quarter inch. God gave that to me and I embrace it with no fear. And the same is true about everything God created you to be. He built you, he designed you, he formed you as you are to live where you are when you are the fact that you are living in 2020 is not an accident god chose you to live here by the way quit saying 2020 is the worst year ever the people in 1436 would have loved to experience your hot water heater this morning okay there are a lot of advantages that you have that other people didn't have, okay? So listen, we're, we're, we embrace what God has given us with no fear. And we charge out into the world understanding God created me. Therefore, I, I don't have to fear death. You know why? God created me for a specific number of days to live. He created me to be born on this date. He knows when my expiration date's going to be. And the end of my life is not the end of my createdness. My purpose doesn't end when I take my last breath. In many ways, I'll be more free to worship Him than I've ever been before. God made me, and that expels fear. Secondly, fear not. God redeems you. He says it here, again in verse 1. Fear not. I have redeemed you. That's such a doctrinally powerful word. It, it means more to us looking back on it through the New Testament lens. But to be redeemed means to be purchased. It was a term that was related to, to slavery. When you bought a slave, you had to redeem the slave, and the slave uh, got a new freedom there. This is the fear of being abandoned by God. Again, realize these people… We're wondering, are are the promises not true? I mean, what about the promise God made to Abraham that, that, that God said we would be a great nation? And here we are, a nation not so great anymore, living in exile. God promised that we would have a great name. And now this nation's renaming our children with Babylonian names. And God promised that we'd be a great blessing to all the nations. And at this time, All they were was a slave people to a foreign nation. The question was, God, are you done with us? Is this the end of the Bible? Are you going to do something? And God says, fear not, I have redeemed you. Now, these people had a self-imposed fear because... They'd forsaken God, they'd stepped into places of idolatry and immorality, and they were experiencing the judgment of God. And when you do that, yeah, fear is going to be kind of a natural consequence of running away from God, but God steps toward these fearful people. And notice what he says a couple of chapters earlier, Isaiah 41, 14, fear not, you worm. Doesn't that increase your courage to know that God calls you a worm? Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. Like, you're worms, you're, but your men, your men are worms. That's, that's an interesting contrast there. He says, I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer, There's our word, is the Holy One of Israel. Isn't that great? God calls you a worm. And then he says, I love to redeem worms. And until you embrace your identity as a worm, you will never turn to the Lord for your identity as a redeemed people. You'll just keep trying to bow up and power up and control life. And when you understand you have about as much control as a worm, you'll turn to the Lord and embrace your identity. Our only hope of getting out of this thing alive is if God fulfills his promise to redeem us. Thirdly, he says, fear not, God has named you. Look at the end of verse one. God says, I've called you by name. You are mine. Do you ever fear not being known? Do you ever fear not being noticed? Does anybody even know I exist? God says, I not only know you exist, I know your name. Um, my children, as they've grown up, we've, you know, obviously we've been around crowds a lot of times in church, you know. If you've ever been in a group of people, you're the dad, but there's more than your children in the midst. And all the kids are like trying to get the dad's attention and they're all calling dad, dad, dad. Well, I just kind of learned to tune that out because I'm just, there's always people calling for dads and I'm not the dad. And so pretty soon my children have turned it like, father, father. And then eventually, when they really want to get my attention, Trent, Trent. It's weird when your kids call you by your first name, you know? It's like, oh, but that got my attention. And what we're identifying there is there is a special relationship when you are known and called by name. It works the other way around. When I say Leah Hope Griffith, and you put the middle name in there, it's like, I know what you're doing, and I do not approve. I don't know where Lee is right now. I'm sure she's doing something I would approve of. If anybody has any news to the other, uh, let me know. Um, anyway, but you, to be called by name means that, that you not only know the name, you know the person behind the name. And God says, I know your name. I, I even named you. Fear is into name calling. Have you noticed that it's kind of vogue in our culture to call people All kinds of hideous names. Apparently, to get voted into political office, you have to be a pretty good name caller nowadays. And and it's like you have to act like a third grader all of a sudden. Now listen, that is not what we do as a people of God because God has called us by new names. Fear's gonna call you the names loser, failure, um, hopeless, helpless. God says, no. Um, Forgiven, loved, honored, hidden in Christ, righteous, holy, reborn, renamed, accepted, servant, child, friend, holy nation, royal priesthood, sojourner, people of my own possession. He even calls us his covenant bride. That's your name. Fear not. God knows you by name. Not only that, he he says, you are mine. I own you. You are my possession. And whatever God possesses, God protects. God says, your protection is my responsibility. Your responsibility is to obey. Do not let fear keep you from obeying. God says, my responsibility is protection. You obey, I protect, I know your name. You don't have to fear obeying God. That's why we say the safest place to live is in the center of God's will. We live safely when we're obeying God and we live dangerously when we are disobeying God. That, that explains right now why some of you are so fearful is because you know in your heart of hearts you are not living a life of obedience to God. You're living outside the will of God and that's a dangerous place to live. You should be afraid but if you want to eliminate fear, step into obedience, repent of sin, come to Christ and come into right relationship with the fear source so that you can live safely. Fourthly, fear not, God says, he will help us. Fear not, God will help you. Look at verse two. He says, when you pass through the waters, by the way, that's an allusion back to Exodus, when God brought the people out of exile in Egypt through The Red Sea, he parted the waters. And so the same thing that he did for the people of God who were living in exile in Egypt, he's going to do for the people of God who are living in exile in Babylon. And he says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. This is the fear of overwhelming circumstances. You ever feel like you're going through a flood? You ever feel like you're facing fire? This is one of the points where people tap out in the Christian life because they come to God with the wrong understanding that if I'm in right relationship with God and God has promised to protect me, then that must mean that I'll never go through a flood and I'll never go through a fire. And so when, they, when you start facing a flood or a fire and overwhelming circumstances, it's like, why is life so hard right now? If I am living in the center of God's will, then I shouldn't have to face any of these difficult circumstances. Notice, he didn't say, fear not, I will prevent the flood and the fire. He said, fear not, I will be with you in the flood and the fire. Then the question is well, if God's going to protect me, then why does He allow me to go through overwhelming circumstances? Simple. He loves you. And He knows there's some stuff that you need to grow in that you can't grow in unless you are in the flood or in the fire. Now, listen. He says, when you're in the, f- in, in, in the waters, in the flood, he'll be with you. That means you'll be unsinkable. And when you're in the fire, you'll be inflammable. It, it reminds me of that song we sing around here a lot. Uh, There's another in the fire. It's the picture of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were thrown in the fiery f- furnace. And, and somebody from the outside was looking. Is like, wait, I see another one in there. I thought we only threw in three. He's like, yeah, Jesus is in the fire too and he's gonna protect you from getting burned. You're gonna be in there, but it's not gonna result in your death. And so we understand we have reason not to fear. Look at what it says in Isaiah 41, verse 10. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. That word dismayed, it's like overwhelmed, confused, panic attack, freaking out. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He goes on in verse 13. For I, the Lord, your God, hold you, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. The words I am here, you'll recognize that when God revealed himself to Moses. Moses says, who, I'm afraid, I'm afraid to go to Pharaoh. Who should I tell him sent me? You tell him I am sent you. It's interesting. He calls us by name. He calls us a worm. And then he says, you're gonna be called by my name. I am the Lord. This is Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. And because we know his name and he knows our name, we have no reason to fear. Don't you love the imagery? If you're a mom, you can kind of picture those many times that you've got your little ones and you've grabbed them by their hand and they're not really great at holding onto you, but you're really great at holding onto them and dragging them across the street so that they don't get run over by a car. That's the picture of what God does with us. I'm gonna hold your right hand because you're, it, notice he doesn't say, uh, fear not, hold my hand. Like, you fear not, I got you. It's a precious, tender picture of how God helps us. Number five, fear not, God loves you. Yeah, you, (laughs) you. He loves you. Notice these tender words in verse three, for I am the Lord your God. There's his name again, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. There's the promise that God is going to save and redeem and restore his people. He says, interestingly, I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. The word ransom there, it literally means to be overlaid with a covering. And there's a ransom. The picture there is of of someone who's being held hostage by a captor and another person is going to pay the price so that the captor will release the hostage. And it's interesting, he says, there are these nations, Egypt, Cush, and Seba, I'm going to give you in exchange for them or them in exchange for you. It's a picture of what God's gonna do 700 years later in Scripture when he's going to give his only son in exchange for people who are being held hostage by sin. He goes on in verse four, great verse, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. And I give men in return for you This is the overwhelming love of God, not because I am lovable, but simply because God is a God who keeps His promises and has set His affection on people who are in right relationship with Him through a covenant relationship whereby He keeps the covenant even when we don't. Are you in right relationship with God? Are you one who has had a covering overlay them? Have you been ransomed by God and have you restored that relationship with God through Christ? Number six, fear not. God says he's with us. God is with us. Look at verse five. Fear not. He says it again. I'm with you. I will bring your your offspring from the east. All right, so how many of you have offspring? Raise your hand if you have offspring. All right. All right, so right now in your head, name your offspring. You got them. Some of you takes longer, I realize. So you got your offspring? This is who he's thinking of. I will bring your offspring from the east. How many of your offspring live east of you? You got those? Okay. How many of your offspring live west of you? He says, I covered those two. And from the west, I will gather you. I will say to the north, how many of your offspring live north? God bless them. Let's all pray for them right now as we head into January. Okay, um, and to the south. How many of your offspring live south? Okay, so all the directions, wherever our offspring have gone, he says, I will bring them. He says, give up to the south. Do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. I want you to notice something. In verse five, he calls them your offspring. In verse six, He calls them my sons and my daughters. Do you hear what he's saying to these people? Remember, they have watched their children being drugged from their homeland and deposited into a godless culture. And all the temptations around them are to forsake the God of their parents and to be absorbed into the godless culture of immorality and idolatry. Does that sound like any culture you know? In my generation, in one generation's time, the culture that we're living in is one, if you are a faithful, committed follower of Jesus Christ, as we've said before, we are exiles. We're not the home team anymore. We're on the visiting fields turf. And one of my greatest fears is that the next generation would be to forsake the God of their fathers. Is that one of your fears? Raise your hand. Everybody's like, yeah. Lord, go get my kids and drag them back to your heart. It's one of my most often repeated prayers. God, give my children a heart that burns with a passion for Jesus that's your prayer? It should be your prayer if you're a parent. And if it's your fear that there's not going to be a next generation of godly children who seek the Lord, do you know what God says to you? Fear not. God has promised to keep his covenant, and there will always be a covenant people of God. The fact that we are a covenant in covenant with God, 2700 years after this was written, is proof that God keeps his promises and he goes after our children and there will always be a next generation. Now, each of our children have to respond in faith and repentance to our God and we can't control them. Remember, if you are paranoid, you're going to try to control your children. If you're prudent, you will disciple your children. You'll call your children to repentance. You'll point them toward the eternality of the promises of God and then pray like crazy that God will give them a heart to follow after. One of my greatest fears, um, honestly, is that people are just not going to come back to church. I mean, we're in a season right now where and so many of you are worshiping at home. We're so glad that you allow us to be in your living rooms and we've provided this technology to get there. Thank you for joining us. But I trust that one day we'll all be able to gather back in church. But I, I've read the statistics and research has shown that just in the last six months, listen to this, over one third of practicing Christians are no longer attending church. And when I say attending, I don't mean in person. They're not attending in person, and they're not doing anything to join online a local church. They may be listening to a podcast out there or watching a video or maybe even listening to Christian music. But as far as engagement and participation in a local church, one in three has quit in this season. That, that sparks a little fear in the heart of a pastor that's trying to build a church that will be the light to a city and push back the darkness. Of the millennial generations, half of practicing Christian millennials are not viewing any online church services. You would expect them like, well, they'll just flip over to the technology. It's not happening. And so we're in a season where we're living in exile and the culture is a great threat to our children. And God says to us, fear not. And yet, we've got to do everything we can to present to our children a God who is worthy to be worshiped. Many of you have prodigal children and many of you pray. We see those prayer requests each week and we're praying and we're trusting that God would bring their hearts back. But there's no reason to fear. God knows right where they are, whether they're north, south, east, or west. All God has to do is to say to the north, the south, the east, or the west, give up. And they will come. So we trust the sovereignty of the Lord. Here's the last thing. Fear not, God is using you. Notice verse seven. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So the question is, for what purpose was I created? I know that I was created I know that I was placed here right now in this season, but for what purpose? And he tells us in verse seven, the reason we were made was for his glory. He's calling us to live for his glory. Commit yourself to live for the glory of God. And that expels fear. The truth is, we are all glory chasers and we all have a glory. What, what's your glory? You know what your glory is? Your glory is whatever you do best. Some of you, what you do best is you just look good. I mean, that's your best thing. You just look good. You look better than everybody else. You just look good, that's your glory. Some of you, you just think good. You're a good thinker, that's your best thing. Some of you, you're a great athlete and that's your glory. Some of you, your glory is making money. You just make money better than the rest of us. And that's glorious. But if you're not careful, you will give yourself to the most glorious thing about yourself. And when you do that, you will always live in fear. You know why? Because there's always somebody out there that looks better than you and makes more money than you and is a better athlete than you. And the gap in between your glory and their glory is the gap where fear consumes you, that somebody's gonna appear more glorious. And God says, you wanna wanna tackle that fear? You wanna get rid of the fear? Stop living for your glory and live for mine. Fear not. I made you for my glory. Which means when we are in obedience and we are living a life of worship and surrender and on mission with God, we have nothing to fear. God is my protector. I want you to stand right now. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I just wanna give you a chance to respond right now to what you've heard. First thing we need to say is, in all honesty, Father God, I am afraid. You know, it really takes a measure of humility to say that, doesn't it? Because it sounds like we're being weak. And what we're doing is we're admitting that at best, I'm a worm. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough glory. I'm not smart enough. Not good enough. Do you have enough humility just to say that to the Lord? Maybe right now the Lord's prompted your heart of things that have a gripping fear over you. Maybe you're afraid of failing. Maybe you're afraid of looking stupid. Maybe you're afraid of commitment. Maybe you're afraid of taking a risk. Maybe you're afraid of stepping into leadership. Why don't you just admit those things to the Lord? It's an area where the Lord says to you, Fear not. I am with you. I have redeemed you. I have made you. I've called you by name. I am using you. Would you ask the Lord right now to expel your fear? Maybe you need to confess the idolatry of living for safety. Ask God to give you courage. Take a risk. Take a stand. Speak up. Reach out. Give sacrificially. Trust Him. Father, we come to you as a a scared people. We, We live in scary times. We fear for our children. We fear for the next generation. We fear the loss of our freedoms. We fear the loss of control. God, these are true of all of us. Whether we try to power up and say, I'm not afraid, or whether we cower in the corner and say, I'm afraid to do anything. At our root, we're a very weak people. And yet, we've heard you speak to us, that you call us by name. We are your children. We're your sons, you're your daughters. We are redeemed. We're a holy people chosen. We are your servants. We are the bride of Christ. The Lord, so many ways that you've loved us. The fact that you've said we're honored, we're treasured, we're cherished, we're precious to you. God, we have every reason to believe you will protect us as long as we're living in the center of your will. So give us faith to believe that to be called by your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.